Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Super Image LTD podcast. Uh, we actually have a couple uh, guests here today, uh, friends of ours. I'll let them introduce themselves in a second. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, just our reactions, actually, to the state of filmmaking after the year that was 2020, but also uh, the recent Oscar nominations and kind of seeing how the, the state of the, the industry is shaping up and uh what we might predict will be the winners. Um, so I'll let uh, all our guests introduce themselves. Also, Carlos is on this episode too. <laughs> oh, here. He's here. I, I certainly am present. <laughs> what about you guys? Um, well, I'll let Ben go first because this is his first time on the oh, podcast. Okay. Yeah, so I am Ben Vashin. I go to school with Colby and Carlos here in in St. George, Utah. So sweet, sweet, nice. Colby. Yep, and I'm Colby. Uh, I've been on the podcast before. This is my second time here, and uh, I'm also a student filmmaker. Um, ben and I recently co-wrote and directed a film uh, that's working really closely with Super Image Ltd. with Carlos, especially, and with Kyle called Gizmo. That's been talked about briefly a little bit but we're excited about it that's kind of the big stuff we've got going on right now but yeah very nice sweet yeah one quick question kind of for the the listeners and uh viewers um for you guys ben and colby uh tell us a little bit about your kind of your background with just film enjoying film films you watch like how how old were you when you were like first figured out like hey i really like this uh became a passion for you do you want to start colby Sure, sure. I can start. So um, it's really funny. My ma my answer is going to sound super basic, but it was Star Wars that started it for me. Yeah, same um, here. <laughs> I remember I was like five years old, I think, if I remember. Yeah, because yeah, 97 was when the VHSs came out. And so yep. I think it was Christmas that year. My uh, parents and grandparents got me this uh, the VHS box set. It was actually cool. It was actually the widescreen version too, which was really rare for VHSs. It was like more expensive. I didn't know that at the time, being a five year old. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I got that that box set of VHSs, and it wasn't just the movies. I mean, obviously the movies captivated me, and I wanted to be Han Solo when I grew up. But I wore out the VHS that had like all of the special features on it, and it blew my mind like seeing how these movies were made. And then before I knew it weeks later i was playing around with the camcorder in the backyard with my brother and our batman and spider-man costumes making stupid films and then you know i i, I kind of i didn't dive into it as as quickly as you know as kyle or carlos did i kind of left in high school and pursued music for a little while but then when that didn't work out i kind of made my way back over to film which was always my first love you know so but here i am at film school now and you know better late than never right hell yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I guess for me, um, this is going to sound really dumb. I always said I wanted to be famous when I was a little kid. That's what my answer would be when my mom would ask me or whatever. And so <laughs> from kindergarten all the way through my senior year of high school, I was in uh, theater productions and um, I always really liked movies. Like I, I wanted to be a an actor, but I was trying to convince myself that anything uh, regarding film, whether it be in front of behind the camera, I wasn't going to do it. And then after high school, I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I want to do 
what makes me happy and everything that goes into filmmaking is parts of all of it make me happy. So I decided to do that. And then in 20 summer, 2019 enrolled uh, here at DSU and met Colby and Carlos. Nice. Nice. One last little tidbit. I want to say, I I always love the story of how Ben and I met. Um, We were actually, it was me, Ben and Carlos were all in the same classroom at this time. I don't think we had really gotten acquainted with Carlos yet, but I think it was like day two. And we watched Phil showed us that, uh, that famous uh, car one take from the children of men. And I was just like, yes, this as movie. Phil is one to on. do. <laughs> exactly. As Phil does. And I got really excited. And Ben was like, what is this movie? I've never heard of it before. And I just like turned to him and I was like, you've never seen children of men. What's oh, going God. on? And then <laughs> after that, I've been yelling at Ben ever since. So pretty much. Yeah. Colby yeah. is literally me. <laughs> <laughs> Colby and Ben are the real married couple, you know, <laughs> They're, they're the actual ones in the relationship. That's <laughs> the third wheel. Yeah. yeah, my wife's the real, the real uh, third wheel in the. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So, kick this off. Let's talk a little bit about a little bit about Sundance. Um, let's kind of go around and, and talk a little bit, maybe first about what was what was the film at Sundance that you saw that uh, really surprised you the most. We're talking surprised or like our favorite? <laughs> surprise first. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'll start. Um, surprise. The one that surprised me the most was Strawberry Mansion. Um, that one blew me away. I think I went into it knowing basically nothing and came out of it just loving everything about it. The world building, the characters, the, the style and the, you know, it was a pretty polarizing film, as we saw from the other people that watched it with us. Um, it, it's not for everyone, you know, and I, and I think that's what's cool about it is that it can invoke such strong reactions on both sides. And that one really stuck out to me. I think that was probably the uh, the standout one for me. Strawberry Mansion was a good one. That was pretty wild. Yeah, that movie was that movie was something. That was really good. I liked it. All right, uh, let's go, Ben. Uh, I'll say the same answer as Carlos. The one that surprised me was Strawberry Mansion, but not, I didn't necessarily enjoy the film. I get what it was doing (laughs) and I did fall asleep during it. But for me, coming from me, that means absolutely nothing because I'm an old man and I fall asleep a lot. Yeah. Quick, quick note to the viewers out there. Ben will fall asleep during literally any movie. He fell asleep during his favorite movie one time. It was great. (laughs) I will stay awake if there are lights on in the room. If they're off, I will fall asleep. Hey, you stayed awake for another round, and we started that at 11. I was very That's true. I was impressed. We started that pretty late. After a shift of work, so that was... That was, that was awesome. Epic poggers. So so we got a counter-argument there for, uh, for Strawberry Mansion. <laughs> what about Colby? So for me... Um, wasn't my favorite. It was in my top three, though. I thought it was going to be my favorite. But the one that surprised me the most was On the Count of Three. Um, that was the one film that, that w- there were two films that I didn't have tickets to because I, you know, I go all out with Sundance. You know, I try to see as many as I can every year. I, this, this is my third year going. And I bought, I think it was like seven tickets originally when I started. And then, of course, I always like to like, you know, listen to what people are excited about. And the one that I kept hearing about 
especially from day one, was on the count of three. Everyone was like, oh, you got to see this movie. It's really good. And what really got me was I read someone be like, yeah, there's a scene where Christopher Abbott sings uh, Last Resort by Papa Roach. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm watching this movie now. <laughs> a highlight and moment in the film. It was great. It was great. And I mean, even aside from that moment being as great as it was, that was a movie that like, you know, because I didn't know much about it. I didn't really read anything about it. I just yeah. heard about the Papa Roach thing. And so I, I bought a screening and that like, scene one hooked me and i was just like i i i'd never checked my watch i was like glued to the screen the whole time until it was over like that movie just floored me absolutely that one is one that you can definitely you can definitely tell it's an indie film with a you know micro budget but like the way they pull it off and the way i mean the acting is is top notch too mm -hmm. uh it it I want to say it might have been my favorite, but just because it's kind of like the underdog pick as far as not being the total audience favorite, but yeah. it was definitely up there for me. That was a good one. On it's the old count school of three. Sundance. It's old school Sundance for sure. It feels yeah. like the old like risk taking films that like started. Very, yeah. And I, I really, I really liked that aspect of it. And in fact, that was going to be my answer. So <laughs> we got, <laughs> we got two pairs of answers uh but that yeah on the count of three and strawberry mansion were both standout films uh whether you liked them or not they're still stand out and i think that's an important thing to note uh to all you listeners out there if you get a chance to check them out they should be coming out fairly soon i know on the count of three got picked up by neon it was annapurna picked it up annapurna yeah annapurna right. picked it up yeah i think they said a fall release for that one and that should be pretty cool i'm excited to see um, that one now, as far as favorite goes, ah, uh, <laughs> um, well, see, I wasn't graced with as many films due to my schedule. I I really missed out on quite a few that I was excited for. But my, I think my tie for favorites. I know Kyle's gonna hate me for this one. Kyle is gonna just. Uh, I know where this is going too. Uh, I know. Where it's, I know. Where it's going. My, my favorites are tied between Prisoners of the Ghost Land and uh, Coda, and I have my reasons with Coda, and I've explained them to Kyle before. In essence, that um, I saw one of the major complaints about Coda was how, like, you know, generic and straightforward and just simple it was. And if anything, yeah, I completely agree. It was a very simple movie, but it was one of the best generic crowd pleasers I've seen in a long time. It That's really true. knew what it was and it knew what it was trying to be and it knocked it out of the park. And I, and I applaud them for that, but I just cannot wait for Apple TV to have another bra moment when they try and do awards campaigning, just like they've done with cherry. So and we'll they completely, they completely just ruin it. Yeah. We'll see how much <laughs> money they dump into that one. But yeah, those two, those two were my favorites. Cause I just got so much enjoyment out of them. That's cool. That's cool. Respect right. you. <laughs> Benjamin. Uh, mine, <clears throat> excuse me. This one, I was fortunate enough to see two thirds of this movie because I walked into Colby's house while it was playing. <laughs> but um, it's a little film called Mass. And holy hell, is oh. that movie fantastic. That's definitely a movie, guys. <laughs> one of the movies that were made. Yeah. Yes. I heard a lot of good things about it. I wasn't able to check it out though. That's that's on my list to watch. Yeah, I I recommend it. I don't know if it's been picked up yet, but as when it's picked up and when it's shown in theaters, I am buying a ticket to see it again because that movie is to quote a good friend of ours, it's fascinating. 
<laughs> well, I mean, to, to considering the cast it has and just kind of the the general response it got, I I can't see why it wouldn't get picked up by, at some point. So I'm looking forward to keeping an eye out for it. I I could see someone like uh, like Sony Pictures Classics picking it up and giving yeah. it a big Oscar push. Like it's it's it is it checks all of the check marks of <laughs> love. So. I, I'd say, yeah, look out for that one later this year. That'll be like an Oscars 2022 hopeful. Mm-hmm. And Colby, what was your uh, all-time favorite Sundance 2021 drum well, roll? I'll be like Carlos and I'll cheat because my favorite was Mass as well. Um, I'll just briefly touch on it. Mass, like I said, yeah, it's really good. Jason Isaacs and Ann Dowd especially blew me away. Uh, they both gave phenomenal performances. And that movie's just my jam. Like... That was the other one, aside from On the Count of Three, that I started hearing buzz about. And everyone was like, yeah, the whole movie takes place in one room and it's an argument between these two families. And I was like, okay, that sounds like my jam. And it, it mm-hmm. was. It was It was essentially 12 Angry Men, but over a school shooting instead of a court case. And it was really good. And I really loved it. Um, and then my other favorite was Sparks Brothers. And hey. holy <laughs> shit, that movie. Like Carlos and I talked about that one for a hot minute afterwards. And it was it, it blew my mind. Like... I was so excited but nervous to see it because it was the first Edgar Wright documentary. And I'm like, this man can do no wrong. He's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. But I was nervous because I'm like, okay, I know how he is. Like, I follow him on all of his social medias. And when he gushes over something, he will dive deep into it. So I was like, okay, this movie could be very self-indulgent. And it is, but it's in a good way. Like, that movie's what, like two and a half hours? And it felt like an hour and a half. Like, it flew by. And it's, it you know, it got me into Sparks. Like I'm a Sparks fan now. I really like listening to their music, you know, and it's that, that never would have happened without this documentary. And he knows how to break all the rules still in a way that's going to be exciting, interesting, engaging, and educational, even in a documentary's case, you know, you like, you really learn all the ins and outs of this band and what make them special, you know, especially to him and to everyone else. And and Sparks, Sparks to me, like, you know, you have your your documentaries as particularly music documentaries and it touches into like the biopic kind of realm where like you have you have it, there's like always a definitive storyline for music bio or biopics or documentaries and it's always they were unknown they were discovered they made some albums they toured <laughs> they were addicted to drugs they almost died <laughs> other better or they actually died it's like there's no there, there's a formula that they that they follow, and I feel like Edgar there's Wright. There's always some evil producer coming along trying to screw yeah. over the band. Yeah, and and if anything, the Sparks Brothers documentary was so just joyous and wholesome and full well, the of everything of that too. Great, yeah, absolutely. And another cool thing about it that that really kind of blew my mind more from the perspective of why aren't more people doing this? But it also totally fits you know Edgar Wright's outside the box personality is and again it it feels so like i shouldn't have to point this out but like i have to point it out is the way they do all the interviews in black and white and it's a really nice beautiful black and white nothing like too dramatic it's really subtle but it really then makes all the historical footage that they have from the 60s the 70s you know all the way to modern day makes all that stuff really pop and it really makes it almost makes their story and everything involving them almost like dreamlike fantasy like and then grounds all the interviews in reality. And I don't, I feel like, wow, I, I was watching and I'm going, what, 
why haven't I seen this before? This is so mm -hmm. simple, but it's so yeah. good. It's so straight works so well. well and yeah. I feel like that's, I feel like that's so sparks too. Cause like they're so outside of the box. It's almost like in that film, you know, the real world of color is their world and, you yes. know, and the boring, you know, not as exciting world as the, is the black and white talking heads, you know? Absolutely. And only, only Edgar Wright would open a Stark Sparks Brothers movie with a shot of Beck. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> totally Edgar would. Wright. And I, I was got to say, I got to talk real quick about the job titles, like the subtitles, you know, in the lower thirds, because they yes. always were a joke. Like it was like yes. Beck, see above. And my favorite was it, they had Duran Duran and it was like each member was Duran. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was funny to me. That was All a right, good title. title. What was your favorite? Well, I mean, Sparks Brothers was mine. Um, that, you know, all the reasons listed above, uh, it really kind of blew my mind that that a documentary could be made. And of course, it's Edgar Wright and man can do no wrong, but <laughs> but that a documentary could be made that literally had me that ripped through all, over two hours. I mean, I sit through I, I sat through a 90 minute documentary this morning and it was beginning to push the limits of my OK get this is get I, i'm ready for this to wrap up now like it was good it was really well made but it hit that 90 minute mark and i'm like okay i was ready for this to be done you know two and a half hours almost and sparks brother was like i could do more i could i could watch more of this and it's a testament to just how cool sparks is you know the the, the guys and and the filmmaking style it's not surprisingly flashy for considering it's Edgar Wright. It's actually very restrained, but it's very engaging. Plus all the cool little animated bits were, were a lot of fun too. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I, the other one was uh, I saw one for the road and it was uh, from Thailand. Uh, it was an international feature um, produced by uh, executive produced, I believe by Wong Kar Wai. And um, it was really cool. And it was, that was another one. It was kind of pushing two and a half hours and I didn't, I, it was awesome. I mean, like it was about, you know, to kind of not put too fine a point on it and leave some room for discovery for all you listeners out there. If you check it out, it's about a guy who realizes he has cancer. He's like in his thirties and uh, he goes back to all of his exes with his best friend. It's like a road trip kind of movie. And he goes back and kind of reconciles with all of them. And along the way, he and his friend kind of discover things about each other, too. And there's a whole lot of like these layers and backstories and just the filmmaking style, like had its moments where it was over the top, like almost in a really flashy stylistic way, kind of reminiscent of uh, reminded me of Whiplash when it's in its more like flashy, stylish moments, which is ironic because the film opens up with the song Whiplash. Yeah, they actually use the the song, and for so from minute one, I'm like, okay, you have my attention. I, I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but then the film goes on to, and not so much spoof as much as honor. You know, a bunch of different like film languages of. Um, you know, kind of riffing on John Woo and riffing on uh, American Westerns and riffing on. So it goes through a whole bunch of these like cinematic styles to tell this really emotional story. And yeah, it was just, it was very, again, kind of that outside the box, very much into risk taking kind of cinema that we're talking about. And uh, I think that was the first film I saw this Sundance run. And I think that's kind of why Coda didn't 
ring too much with me was because I started off with something that was so outside the box that then Coda seemed really safe, which I'll give Coda credit. It, it does what it does really well. It's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, it's a very safe movie. And that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> Coda reminds me of something like the edge of 17, where yes. it's proof that you can tell a story beat for beat for beat that's been told before that you've heard before but it still can engage you because of yeah. how well it's written and how well it's acted and how well it's executed and and there's a degree of refreshing you know a refreshing quality about that absolutely yeah. so this All kind right. of leads us into just kind of films guys um but films uh that we saw in 2020 what are we talking about, boys? <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah, okay. Um, I guess I'll start. Um, I cannot decide what, especially after last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give our audience a little background on what you did last night. So what we did last night, um, after class, after everything, uh, Colby, Colby wrote in our chat and he said, hey, guys, I'm going to double feature United States versus Billy Holiday and another round tonight. And I'm like, okay, well, I have class until around like nine o'clock, nine thirty. I'll probably skip Billy Holiday because not really my jam. Not it's, really. it's a chore. It's a chore yeah. to get through. We'll just we'll, <laughs> we'll like say it right now. One of the movies ever made. And 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 so <laughs> I'm like, but another round, I really want to see that. I've been wanting to see it for a while, I've been seeing it floating around social media. And I'm like, I'm going to make that happen. So we get over there and we start watching it. And literally it take, I think it took me about like 20 minutes to get into. Took me, took me a little bit because at first I wasn't sure what was going on. And I was kind of adjusting to the style, but after you get into it, boy, does it just take you on a ride and, and it did not let you go. And it was the only movie from last year that I was able to genuinely ex feel every emotion throughout that entire movie. And it made you care about every single character, every single story beat, just everything was so worth it. And it all leads to, which I won't spoil, but it leads to an ending that is so well-deserved and so like just perfect considering the, the context and like I had seen that ending scene before because it's, it's just kind of been it's been memed a little bit it's been it's been floating around but I had no context I didn't know what what it was about I just thought it was Mads Mikkelsen you know being goofy and and now it's like no there's there's so much more to it and it, and it just really really stuck out to me so so now it's up there and I think I've whittled it down to five of my favorites from last year and it goes it comes down to Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, uh, Minari, uh, Another Round, and Judas and the Black Messiah. I think that's my top five. So we're talking like Oscar eligibility as well? No, and I'm talking oh. overall. I'm talking overall. Oh, okay. what's, what's, what's the Colby pick? <laughs> oh, so we're just talking about 2020 or Oscars? 2020. 2020? Okay, so... Um, I'll cheat and do two. Um, the first one I'll talk about is kind of an early plug for something that's coming out later this year. It was one of the first films I saw of 2020. It was at Sundance 2020, um, back, you know, last Sundance before COVID hit. 
Uh, it was a little movie called Nine Days. And I'm going to sing the praises of that movie till it comes out because it is beautiful. It's so good. It's a directorial debut of this guy, Edson Oda. Uh, he uh, was making a lot of commercials beforehand. He didn't really, you know, he didn't have a ton of shorts under his belt or any features under his belt. And he just exploded onto the screen with this film. Major cast, you know, Winston Duke, Zazie Beetz, um, uh, Benedict Wong. Um, what's his name? Uh Pennywise, I can't remember the younger Skarsgård. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's great cast and beautiful concept. You know, you get so many movies that are like, oh, what is life like after death? But this touches on the inverse of like, oh, what is it like before you're born? You know, and it really it ex- it explores a lot of deep human emotions and themes and ways that I think are really bold and. Talking about ending scenes, like in another round, I think nine days is still one of my favorite ending scenes that I've ever seen, like ever, because it's like, it's like similar to another round where you're, it's very earned and you're feeling a lot of emotions. And if you saw it, you'd kind of be like, without context, you'd be like, oh, this is just like a really nice artful little thing. But when you, you sit through it, you're like, you you feel it and it's really good. And that's one that I want to talk about because it technically wasn't released in 2020. It's not coming out until July of this year, but I do oh, I like see. talking about that one. And then my favorite one is going to really label me as niche. And it's probably going to put a target on my back for this entire podcast because my favorite film of 2020 was Mank. And, <laughs> you know, I, and I understand Mank is a very hard to get behind film. You know, I've met a ton of people who didn't like it. And I always have to say, I'm like, you know what? I get that. I get why it's not everybody's cup of tea. It is very niche. It is very, very for a particular audience. You know, you've, you very. have to... You have to understand in and out like old Hollywood and you've got to care about old Hollywood and you've got to know a lot about filmmaking. Like you've got to, you've got to be a really big cinephile to like even understand what's happening in that movie. I mean, not to say you won't understand the plot. The plot is very simple. You know, it's, it's a man finds redemption, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've seen that plot before, but you're not going to understand like who Cecil B. DeMille is and who right. David Oselznik is. Like you're, you're not going to know who those names are and you're not going to know what they're talking about, you know, but. Well, there's even a cool aspect about Mank that Carlos and I, you know, grew up here in Cambria, which we're only like 10 minutes away from Hearst Castle. And there's the whole mm-hmm. film history involving William Randolph Hearst. And, you know, we grew up with that kind of air hanging over it that we knew that like, oh, Citizen Kane is based on, you know, loosely based on, but like, we all know, like it's. Oh yeah. It's oh, Hearst. Yeah. It's and, Hearst, um, sure. What's funny is the, uh, I forget what year it was, but they actually screened Citizen Kane at Hearst Castle uh, one year for the, through the Slow Film Fest. Um, and I was like, ooh, that's bold. But they uh, they did that and it was pretty cool and, and they were able to celebrate it. But what's interesting about the film Mank is they really do dive into the whole Hearst aspect and they do a really good job. I don't, you know, those sets where they, you know, basically recreate the, interiors of Hearst Castle. Well, I mean, Carlos and I have been taking tours there and it's, I mean, spot to on. a T spot yeah, that, on that. The visual effects department and the set design people of that movie are on another level. Oh yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. Oh are yeah. We'll get the, into that. We will get, aren't into we? Oh yeah. Oh boy. All but right. Yeah, Mank, visual Mank effects breakdown. Just, yeah. But Mank is just my favorite of 2020. And 
I, I think at the end of the day, it's a combination of David Fincher's my favorite director working right now. My favorite of all times, probably Fincher or, or Hitch, yeah, not Fincher, sorry. My favorite of all times, either Kubrick or Hitchcock, but my favorite alive and working today is Fincher. And so I've automatically has a soft spot for me. But the fact that it's like such a personal story about writers you know, not just screenwriters in general, but just the writer in general, because yeah. like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a screenwriter and to touch on what it means to be a writer and to like have to, you know, reach in and have that confidence to be able to believe in yourself, to make something good, you know, to, to you know, th the story behind the greatest screenplay of all time. And I don't know, I just, you know, that, that Gary Oldman performance really hit me and the, I, I, that movie just touched me and I love it. Speaking of which, is that a Tyler Durden Funko pop? This behind you. That is. <laughs> this is a Tyler Durden Funko Pop. Straight from HQ, by the way. Because because only Colby. <laughs> yep. Only I, I. I have the only copy of the only one. I I, I fought a guy to get it. <laughs> Beating a yeah. lady with a stick to get this. <laughs> funny you should say that. It's yeah. It's funny you should say that. I almost fell over my leg. All right, Ben. All right, Ben. Hit us. Hit us. Um. I kind of want to cheat. the The first movie in 2020 that I saw was the last time in 20 or before COVID hit. It was uh, the Invisible Man. I Ooh. really liked that movie because the use of sound design, yes, like, and the lack thereof in certain scenes, and just that it was just a cool experience to see with you know your your film buddies and everything. But that was I, a really fun theatrical experience. It, we it don't discriminate fun. against genre picks here. <laughs> um, and then I guess for 2020 itself, my favorite, well, it, it's between a promising young woman and another round. Mm. It's, it's close. I love both of those movies, but I don't know which one to pick. They're both really good. Another round should be in, for a lot more Oscars than it is, but we'll get to that at another we'll point there. too. <laughs> we will, we will indeed. Uh, personally, it's such a hard, like in some ways, everything considered 2020 going the way it went last year was a really strong year. I mean, there haven't been that many like really highly praised or highly lauded movies that I've watched and felt like, Oh, that really didn't live up to the hype. If anything, I felt in some cases, they really, they, they actually kind of outshined the hype that was kind of building around them. Um, that being said, I was really to talk about a disappointment was, and it was a bummer. It was tenant was a bit of a bummer, um, uh, yeah. but I was still able to appreciate elements of it, but I didn't get to see it in the theater. And I heard about all the sound issues in the theater, but just watching it at home and we watched it on our, on our sound system, which is, it's a pretty nice sound system. And I want to say like for a whole, like, oops, a whole like day after we watched it, I felt like my eardrums were numb because <laughs> that Base track was on the entire two and a half hours. And I turned our subwoofer down, like to the yes. lowest <laughs> setting, and we still our poor floor. Like I thought, the boards were going to start splitting in half. It was so so intense. Jeez, but yeah. But th th that being said, uh, I would say definitely up there for me is uh, Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal was 
it was awesome. And I mean, it, it, I can't even put down for any one good reason other than it's all around awesome. And it's one of those films where, I mean, you could go d- dive deep into the sound design and into the acting and the writing. I mean, the acting is so raw and so real. And it was really nice to see, you know, the the supporting actor nom uh, get a get a Paul attention Racy, as well. Yes, I'm very happy he was nominated. He real. I mean, like I was watching that film and I I didn't even know I didn't know who he was, but like I I thought he just was. I, I like they found him with the place or something. <laughs> like yeah, and they just said, "Hey, want to be he this like movie? a non-actor?" Yeah, right. But he was so good. Like, and that I mean, Riz Ahmed was great, and he gave a great performance. But for them to be, you know, on that level with each other, amazing. So, Sound of Metal was definitely up there. Mank was Mank was great. I'm a Fincher fanboy, and you know, the funny thing is, I I do see a lot of the Fincher fans that I I know they they didn't care for mink because it like didn't yeah. cater to the fincher fan base and i'm like well that's good he shouldn't be catering to anybody exactly <laughs> he he it was ironic to me because i got into a few conversations with some people online about it like all very civil but they were like i just don't like mink because it's just not it's not typical fincher you know and that's not yeah. the best fincher movies and i'm like okay so social network's still not his best film and they're like yeah okay but that's different and i'm like well how it's that movie's not fincher either you know like that movie's yeah. Well, but you could argue that social network is in the sense of, of style. Uh, Mank yes, definitely is a departure, you know. That's true. That and even true. It, I, I have to really respect uh, Atticus, you know, and Trent for doing such a wildly different score than anything they've ever done before. And I mean, they have they have two nominations and they really did deserve both. They did. I know did. there were yes. um, other amazing scores, but man, this was their year. This was they knocked it out of the park absolutely well, i told kobe last night something interesting about this year in movies is that 2019 people were saying that 2019 was one of the best years for movies that we've had at least in the last decade and while i agree to a certain extent i will say 2019 was a very loud year in the sense that there were a lot of bangers that were coming out and they made a lot of noise they made a yeah. lot of buzz and they had a lot of people talking about it. Every single nomination, like best picture wise, you had 1917. People were talking about that, you know, months before it even came out, all hyped about it. That was Parasite was, was making the rounds as far as the international market, people going, this is like really, really good. And, and, and Colby single-handedly like, promoting Parasite all over Utah. I think Colby <laughs> I have a small confession to make. Neon actually paid me to promote the movie. Yeah. And he didn't actually like it. He, he just, um, but even something smaller like Marriage Story, like that was still making people talk. And so every single movie oh, that was 2019, that feels like so yeah. long ago. <laughs> yeah. And the Irishman, you know, people Scorsese's back and he's making his epic. And it's like everything had a buzz around it. And this year has felt so non-existent. That's why people are like, I don't know what the hell these movies are. So if anything, they're rivaling in quality but they're lacking in attention. And I think that's the obviously a sign of the times. And I see a lot of people complaining. Like one of the complaints I saw was like, Oh, birds of prey isn't up for costume design or visual effects. And I'm like, well, that's because Warner brothers didn't spend any money promoting it. Mm-hmm. They spent all their money on Judas and the black Messiah and the little things like there's no 
And Wonder Woman 1984. Don't forget that Oscar campaign. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, they, they put everything. Razzie you know, <laughs> nominated Wonder Woman 84's Oscar campaign. That's a... For, for Best Supporting Actress, Kristen Wiig. <sighs> anyway. Okay. So now is the juicy stuff. Yeah, now the juicy stuff. And before we like get into like the meat of the noms, I just want to acknowledge one fun little tidbit about the noms is that uh, how about Glenn Close getting a best rat, uh, a Razzie and a Oscar nomination for the same role? <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's only ever happened once before now. I believe that's like it was Sandra Bullock, right? but it was actually two separate movies. She was nominated for an Oscar for Blindside. OK, and she was Razzie for a different film. I'm thinking of, I think it was Wall Street, if I remember correctly. It was one of the older Michael Douglas films. Mm. Michael Douglas was nominated for Best Actor, and who, what, whatever actress was alongside with him was nominated the Razzie, Razzies for Worst Actor. Oh, oh Daryl That's Hannah. what it was. Because yeah. I remember <laughs> the Sandra Bullock thing, because it was too, because I remember she actually went to the Razzies that year and accepted the award, right. and, and she went and won the Oscar weeks later, and then the Razzies asked for it back, and she was like, no way. <laughs> they're going on the shelf That's right great. next to each other no Nothing but yeah now Berry, Berry, Glenn Close. oh yeah yeah that that's right yep. she was in tears she was like I'm so honored <laughs> uh, yeah Glenn Close and Colby made a good point about it that it's amazing how Glenn Close could carry such a bizarrely bad film like it's not yeah. even just objectively bad it's just weird it's odd. It's it's. I haven't seen it. It's just it, It's it's really strange because I feel like it's like, especially coming from someone like Ron Howard, because it's 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 made by someone who's like, it's almost like a tr they're trying to recreate Forrest Gump. But I'm like, I don't know why you would try to do that, especially <laughs> if you're a filmmaker who was, you know, Robert Zemeckis' contemporary back at that time. Like, I just, yeah. it, it didn't make sense to me. The structure was all over the place. But I got to say, every, as bad as that movie is, every single time Glenn Close was on screen, I, I she had my attention. Yeah. I wish all Ron Howard a very stop making movie. <laughs> I knew that was Hey, coming. hey, hey, no. <laughs> no, Ron Howard's, and, you know, he's, he's, kind of in a weird place because he's done some movies recently which i actually really liked like i, I enjoyed rush that was rush that was is good that was cool yes and uh I'm, i'll need to revisit it and see it again i just remember really liking it when it came out mm -hmm. but then he also made like the da vinci code movies so it's like yeah uh, it's up and down well, but i also appreciate that he kind of just doesn't care <laughs> well and he's crushing it in the documentary game right now rebuilding That's paradise true. was a really good documentary i heard about that one yeah yeah so I mean, kudos to him for still working and you know, not he, not. He's stopping. like George Lucas. He's like George Lucas, except he's not like you know counting his bill four billion dollars on a beach somewhere. Yeah, he's I was gonna say George Lucas movies. just stopped. Yeah, at least Ron Howard's still still going. You know, and and I've watched bits of his. He has that uh, master class. You know, and it's always really cool to hear. You know, someone someone like him who's not like the director you'd expect to have a master class, but then he does, and he goes through his whole process, and it's like, yeah, he. There's a reason he's one of the top directors ever. You know, I remember Tisa played a clip from one where he talked about a beautiful mind in that one mm -hmm. class we had, and that was a, that was fascinating stuff beautiful mind class. man what a film <laughs> what a picture what, what a, a picture <laughs> um okay so here I we go i don't think like obviously we, we don't have to go through every single category but i think there's the first category they announced which was supporting actress yeah oh actress. fascinating 
I got to say, I think category. I think we should talk about that category because the thing is, is I feel, you know, maybe I, I think the general consensus really for this category, and it's for the first time in a really long time, I don't think anyone has a damn clue who's going to win. Yeah. Like at all, yeah. like there's no clear front runner. Like there, it could there kind of was direction. with Jodie Foster after the the Golden Globes, but then she was excluded. So it's like who's who is going to win? Like I know who I think is going to win, but I don't have any science yeah. to back it up. You know, that's true. So here, let's do a thing where who do we want to win? Who do we think will win? Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so I'll, I'll start. You, uh, yeah, um, and then I'll have a little footnote to it. So I think. I really don't have a definitive answer, but I think it could be between Glenn Close or Olivia Pullman. Is Glenn Close has been shunned every year, and this could be her year. Um, and the Academy has been known to do these kind of awards for movies that weren't popular but had good performances. Um, as a bit of like a, I mean, just think like Darkest Hour or or uh, Judy. You know, they they give they give awards for films that people were like, eh, you know, it's a good movie, but God, Gary Oldman was great in that. So. I think Glenn Close could win. Olivia Coleman, I think, is just a favorite right now. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, no pun intended. Just because she's incredible. I want Maria Bakalova to win because, well, Borat, but also because it's just such an off-the-wall performance and such a weird nomination considering that, you know, they, they're, they're kind of against comedies. So I think it would be really cool to have a comedy performance like that win. Um, and then my footnote is that I love Amanda Seyfried and she killed it in Mank, but I do think, and I know this is Netflix's fault, they did not campaign Lily Collins for Mank, and I'm kind of disappointed because she was really good. She and, was really good. She was. And Amanda Seyfried stood out to me, but Lily Collins, I felt, really carried a lot of the scenes that's in true. that movie. So anyways, that's what I got. I hate to break it to Colby, but I have a theory, and I, my theory is that Mank won't get a lot of love because, no, like you I, mentioned, I agree. I agree. It's such a it's such a specific audience, and it's one of those films where it's like it's gonna get a lot of nominations, and it did. It, I think it's leading right with ten. Um, I, I really I really hate to point it out and make this comparison because one film is clearly way better than the other, but it's gonna be last year's Joker. It's gonna it's gonna have a it's, it's gonna <laughs> yeah. have double digit nominations, and it'll be yeah. lucky if it takes home one, maybe two. Yeah. Well, I it's agree. Time in Hollywood as well. Same I mean, thing. They got double yeah. digit. And they took home nothing. Yeah. And that's maybe a more appropriate. Uh, well, no, no, they took home but... two. They took home two. That's oh, that's two. right. They got uh, they, they they got Brad Pitt and production design. Oh, okay. And see, that's I remember where... people throwing a fit over production design. They were like, "All he did was recreate the '60s." Like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's where so Mank easy. Might, that's where Mank might you know bring it home is in the production design Which and uh, visual have, effects. Correct. We we have some some idea. No, it's not in VFX. They snubbed. Yeah, it. that's a topic oh, we'll weird. To touch on later. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to VFX and production design because we have some thoughts about production design too. Yeah, but we do. But yeah. So supporting actress, I Carlos. Actually, I think I think Maria Bakalova actually has a strong shot at winning. Reason being because uh, they have given supporting actress to actresses in comedy films before this has kind of been a trend before most recently that one I think of is uh bridesmaids 
uh, Melissa yep. McCarthy won for uh, for her role in Bridesmaids. That was supporting actress. So I definitely think she has a strong shot. She's been, you know, kind of making some awards rounds. Uh, she won the Golden Globe, right? Nope. For supporting? No. No, oh, Jody. She Bob was just Bob. nominated. Oh, that's right. That's right. And that's the whole snub this time. Yeah. Well, and I think Maria Bakalova's got a really, a really good shot because I think, I think the Academy voters just really loved that, that scene with her and Rudy Giuliani. You know, I think it's going to be part, it, it's all going to come together. It might make a difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Olivia Coleman, she's, you know, kind of a Hollywood darling right now. Glenn Close, everybody thought she was amazing. But what about the, uh, nomination for minari for supporting actress oh i was actually oh, going, started. that's where i was actually where i was gonna go i was gonna say my my who i want to see win is amanda seyfried because i think she jumped off the page to me in that movie like as much as i love gary oldman's performance like she was unrecognizable in that movie and yeah i've always adored her as an actress ever since i you know saw her for the first time in mean girls and i've always thought that there was something <laughs> special with her he's a and, simp <laughs> yes <laughs> but i was really happy with her and mank and i feel like she did have some uh you know she had some really good momentum going in like december and january but i think it's i think it's gonna wear off yeah. i think it's going to go i want to pull it up so that i you know say it right i think it's going to go to yu jung yun for minari because lee isaac chung is not going to win director and Neither is uh, Stephen Young for actor. And I think mm -hmm. the Academy wants to give Minari something big. And I think that's going to be how they do it. And I think I it's absolutely deserved, you know, because yeah. no, none of the other guilds or awards shows have like have really predict, predicted that one. And for that to be such a strong come out. And like, I'm like, I think that that's where I see that one going. Yeah. All right. Ben, Ben, I mean, well, the only film on here that I have seen was Minari. <laughs> so I have some catching up to do in that regard, but um, coming from, I've had family members and close friends and people I've known who have suffered strokes, I guess, spoilers, sorry, but there's something that happens in that movie and it's extremely accurate because it's a spectrum, but where her character lands on that spectrum it's really spot on and mm -hmm. I, yeah, I want her to win. Nice. You know, it's, it's funny that you should say that she deserves it because of that scene. I was going to say she deserves it for the pee scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole film, but that like, that was the cherry on top for me mm -hmm. was the transition from mm -hmm. regular grandma to the yeah. grandma that the kids end up having. Yeah, that, that, that I agree. Now, let's transition this into um, talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, which is obviously a film with no lead actor. <laughs> <laughs> They're the yeah, titular no roles. <laughs> like, I don't remember seeing any lead actors in that movie. I don't know. No, what no, 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 no. I got, I got to say, though, I think it's funny that Warner Brothers kind of learned how to get around the Academy because, you know, 15 years ago, they had a little film called The Departed. And, <laughs> you know, it also had two leads and neither yeah. one of those actors were nominated for any Oscars because they didn't know who to pick for lead. <clears throat> and you can only submit one film, one actor 
per film for lead, but you can do numerous for supporting, which doesn't make any sense. And wow. Warner Brothers wasn't thinking that far ahead. So they just didn't, they didn't campaign for Leo or Damon, which is a shame because I think those are probably two of their best performances of all time. Absolutely. Probably could have gotten Leo an Oscar yeah. several years before The Revenant. But, you know, that's not the world that we live in. So, and now Warner Brothers has kind of learned their lesson and, and they, they, you know, it's confusing everybody, but hey, they, they got both performances that are equally deserving in the category. You know, well, they, they, did, they did submit uh, Lakeith Stanfield as lead actor, but then the voters voted him as a supporting. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where the confusion comes. Fox did the same thing last year with Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, they yeah, they yeah. campaigned because they wanted Matt Damon and Christian Bale both. They campaigned them as supporting. And neither neither of them picked them up, picked it up, and which I think was a shame. Christian Bale got the Golden Globe nomination for best lead, and it you can say that Christian Bale led that movie, but in essence, it was both of them. So I think it's a similar situation. But I think the Academy finally bit because Lakeith Stanfield got so much praise for this, and Daniel Kaluuya has been outshining him obviously because he's just such a powerhouse in that movie. He's a magnet he, in that film. And Lakeith is the complete opposite where he's just he, so subtle and just so, you know, like my, like my letterbox review, it's like, now I know why he looks like he's going to burst <laughs> into tears yeah. at any given moment. So that, that to me is, is what stands out. When I read his name in that list, that was my, that was like the biggest surprise to me that made me the happiest when I was reading him at the time. I was like, cause, cause he's an actor that I, again, I've liked him for a while, but I always thought like, yeah, he's never going to get recognized by the Academy. And then when this movie yeah. came out, I even turned to Taylor when we saw the trailer for the first time, I was like, Kaluuya's going to win an Oscar and Lakeith's not going to get anything. He's not even going to get nominated. Yeah. And I was never more happy to be proven wrong. Like that's great. Kaluuya yeah. still is going to win, but I'm happy that Lakeith was at least nominated. Wait, well, and I haven't, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Judas is such an interesting movie because well, the one thing that's unfortunate to me is that both of them are campaigned for a supporting role and they're both nominated. Whereas if they were, I don't know how they could work it where one of them is in, is in lead or the other, but um, I am spacing on his name. I need to look it up. Um, Which character? Todd, a different movie. Right. No, it's it's a, a Jesse Plemons. Yeah, yes, was incredible in that movie, and he's he hasn't gotten any attention, and his performance. I mean, to be such a like an antagonist in a sense, like we haven't seen a lot of supporting roles get nominated that way in a while. Like uh, the one that comes to mind is obviously Heath Ledger as the Joker, but like. He was such a powerhouse in that movie as just well, and uh, Christoph Waltz and Glorious Bastards. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it's really interesting to me that he he didn't get anything because both yeah. of them are in supporting. It's movies well, like Judas that make me wish that there was an ensemble category at the Oscars because imagine the the race that we'd be having between Judas and Trial of Chicago Seven this year because that yeah. would be insane. Wait, notice how none of us said trial was our favorite of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I really well, I was just trial of Chicago seven though. I really love that movie. I was just about to say, um, I didn't really talk too much about what my favorite film was of 2020 because I haven't gotten to be able to talk about it yet because we were going to, I was going to wait till we talked about the nominations, but man, Judas, and the black Messiah, that was, that was a hell of a film. That was a hell of a film. And 
I from frame one, my eyes were glued and I never once even thought about looking away at any point. And I mean, just everything about it, the cinematography, the acting, the music, you know, the, the music was so cool and just different. But I mean, the cinematography just wow yes. like just just that opening scene where uh lakeith walks into the the bar and it's like almost a one a one shot the entire time there's like a, a cut briefly into it but um there's like the neon lights outside and the car and him walking around in the trench coat and all of it and it's so it's so good i yeah. mean it's it's really amazing work done by everybody and that's probably i i, I don't know if it's my top number one but it's definitely in my top three that i, saw I was really year. i was really happy to see sean uh sean bobbitt get nominated for cinematography because he yes, hasn't yes. been nominated yet and he is a wizard you know widows 12 years a slave shame like he is yeah. unreal at especially like mood lighting he really yes. knows how to, to do that very well and he always got overlooked and i genuinely was starting to think he was going to get overlooked this year so that was another one that made me really happy but I think really that's nice a good there. Good transition going into cinematography. Maybe we can talk about some of the technical categories. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. I'll start um, with production design because production design is a pretty interesting category. Um, I think the surprise for everyone was the father. Um, I think everyone, everyone. <laughs> the production knew, design? You yeah. Said? For me, Every, it wasn't, but I think I'm the only I one heard that. I think movie. for most consumers, because it's pretty new, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. a movie that, at first glance, you know, you wouldn't expect. Oh, production design, and obviously, if you know more about the story, I haven't seen it personally, but I know how the production design goes into the film. Oh, yeah. um, but then you have like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I agree with that nomination because while the movie itself was pretty okay, making it seem like you were living inside a play was really cool and yeah. they really nailed that claustrophobic kind of you know everyone was like sweating during that movie and you could just tell like that it felt real um mank obviously killed it uh news of the world i don't have much to say about that uh i love can Paul i just ask really quick has anyone here seen news of the world because I don't think anyone else has seen that movie either i just want to <laughs> say that publicly like, i've seen a ton of ads for it I haven't even seen an advertisement for it. I don't it. think the really movie exists. I, don't I get bombarded real. with ads on YouTube for it. I think it's I a fake it movie. I think it's like a funnier dice skit that somehow got nominated <laughs> for Oscars. Like, I thought it took place on a boat, and then I see, like, the poster, and I'm like, there's no boat. I'm, I'm, you I'm, might be, I think, are you thinking of Greyhound, which also had Tom Hanks and was an Apple TV exclusive? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But Tenet, I think, was uh, a given um, for production design. I think yeah. that's a cool one just because they, they did a really good job with, with creating that world. Nathan Crowley is a wizard. Nathan Crowley is the, the OG. He's the, yeah. he's the man. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's good. I mean, but, the playing um, scene alone. Yeah. But I think the father is going to win, but it could really? be, it, it could be a 1917 situation where they just give it to the obvious one, which is tenant. I think they're going to give it to Mank. I'm, as I was going to say, I'm, I think Mank is going to get it but I think the father deserves it. Um, the father's nominated for quite a few technical stuff, which makes me happy. Um, but it's kind of like I, I rode this into the ground last year and it pissed me off. Like parasite to me, absolutely deserved to be nominated for production design. And it wasn't, and it pissed me off. Cause that not only do I think it should have 
been nominated last year, but I think it should have won. And so when I saw the the father this year, I was like, okay, for the same reasons, it needs to be nominated and win. So I was happy to see it nominated because I love good production design. Don't get me wrong. And I agree with all those points that Carlos has made. But what I love so much about the father is that the production design not only looks good and not only is it amazing and not only is it immersive and not only does it similar to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom make it feel like a play come to life, but it is using that production design to advance the story and to advance what the character is going through and to put you in like it's doing so much for the audience and the character without the audience even realizing it. And to me, I'm like something like that deserves it. But I think that's going to get wasted on the Academy and they're just going to pick Mank because like, like we were saying, I don't think Mank's going to take any big awards. I don't think it's going to win any acting. I don't think it's going to win directing or best picture. It's going to win a few, you know, Hollywood will pat itself on the back and give it some technical awards like production design and stuff. And then Mank will, okay, just it's your bedtime. Go to bed, you know, <laughs> time for the big movies. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, I think I, I, I'm with, I'm with Colby on that one. But I'm surprised. I thought Ben saw Mank. I thought Ben was with Colby. We've we failed Ben. I actually <laughs> saw. Yeah, I haven't. The only move, the only movies nominated there that I have seen is Marini's Black Bottom and Tenet. And two of the three of you know how I feel about Tenet. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah, which is <laughs> Tenet was Ben's favorite movie. He lied about the Invisible Woman. <laughs> I was almost going to make that exact same joke, Colby. <laughs> Let's hear your argument for Tenet. <laughs> oh, no. Like, as a movie as a whole, I just didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And I hated the sound mix. But yeah. since it, it, yeah, production design, totally deserved. But absolutely. That, the film was I underwhelming. Like to say better. Yeah. Now, well, there was a really cool movie. Carlos, you had mentioned a uh, nomination for editing that you felt got uh, snubbed, and I can't remember what it was. Editing? Mm-hmm. Because right yeah. now the nominees for editing are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, um, I did. I did. Um, I wrote you guys. Yeah, you told me. You were like, oh, something got snubbed for editing. It wasn't another round, was it? No, no, something else. Well, Carlos, uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't offer a replacement. I just said, "Why is trial up for editing?" I see. And, and considering I, it's such a large cast and such a large story, I can see, you know, the the idea behind nominating it. I don't think it's as strong as Sound of Metal. I don't think it's as strong as Promising Young Woman editing wise, but that's just my personal subjective taste too. I feel like Nomadland's going to win. I think the reason why Trial is nominated for editing is because it reminds a lot of people. I mean, it reminded me of this, but I think it's structure and editing reminded people of the social network because of how similarly structured those films are you know, centering around a court case, centering around this true story with all of these moving parts and all of these things going on. And, and like, you know, and the he I, I said, think she said element. Yeah. And I think that's why I liked trial so much. Cause even though it is such a standard, you know, like mid tier Sorkin film, he, you could tell he took a lot of notes from his time with Fincher and yeah. 
I think that comes across, especially in the edit, you know, like I, I, when I, when I saw that best editing nomination, I thought of the scene where Eddie Redmayne is being tested for how he's going to be on the stand for the tape and how that's that's intercut with the get on the street scene like that. That scene was very well edited. Like, and that's probably the strongest scene in the film. Yeah. So, and I think voters think of things like that, you know, know, because I'm not saying it's, I don't think it should win, but I, I can see why it was nominated. Absolutely. Where I supposed yeah. to being nominated for cinematography, I'm 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 100 with you, Carlos. Like, why was Trial nominated for? Cinematography? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and again, not to not to shit on anybody's work, but like, Trial was definitely taking up something else that could definitely be more deserving. I think. Yeah, you know, like Cherry. You know, Cherry really deserved that. <laughs> You're really gonna ride this cherry thing, huh? Yeah. No, but <laughs> right, I think man. I think Santa Metal is the strongest for editing. Um, yeah. and I think it it should win. It 100 deserves that. I don't think it will because I think it'll go to Nomadland because Chloe Zhao edited it, and I think that's what they're looking for because it, there's a chance she doesn't win Best Director, and if she doesn't, at the uh, at the very least, oh, we lost Kyle. Uh, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, my camera um, didn't die. But yeah, and yeah, cinematography I think was a pretty strong category. Uh, besides trial, I have no idea about news of the world, um, but it is Darius Wolski, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Whoa! <laughs> going going back to film editing real quick before we move on to cinematography. Um, see, here's my thinking. I'm preparing myself now for Nomadland to win a bunch of big awards and to be disappointed, but. I th- and, but for that reason, I think the Academy is going to want to try to share its lo- show its love to some other films um, that might be losing out to Nomadland in a big way. And so I think for that reason, I think it's going to go to Promising Young Woman because I want to see I want to see Sound of Metal win that. I, I agree with you guys, but again. The Oscars really like to look at something that's flashy when it comes to these types of awards, you know, something that's more noticeable. I mean, do we all remember, you know, when they awarded uh, Bohemian Rhapsody for most editing you know and 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 not not to say that promising a woman has bad editing but it's it's very you know it's like the colors in that movie and like the style of that movie it's very in your face it's very noticeable it pops and i think that's true i think the voters will see that and and vote for that and be like you know what nomadland's gonna get best picture and cinematography and director and all these other big awards so we'll give this we'll give this one a promising young woman that's my i'd be happy with that all the while they'll be sleeping on sound of metal and it's perfect editing but yeah. And, you know, Sound of Metal will be, you know, not to, you know, be too put too fine a point on it. It'll be this year's Whiplash. Whereas in 2014, when Whiplash came out, I was like, damn, this is this is my favorite movie of the year. This was this was the best movie, whatever. And, you know, that was also the same year Birdman came out. So, I mean, Birdman, it deserved everything it got, but it took away from Whiplash. You know, I'll always kind of curse that for happening, but it's just the way it goes. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna be even cruder and say that it's it's gonna go the way of Lion. You know, it's gonna be this really reverent uh, and calm, beautiful film that no one saw that got nominated true. for a good bit of stuff and got everyone excited because oh, they actually paid attention to this movie and it's got this beautiful lead performance from this excellent up up and coming minority actor, and then it just goes home empty handed. That's true. That's true. That's what and I was Lion thinking. was a really strong film that year. Yeah. But that was that was my favorite of that year. 
And you had mentioned something about the uh, visual effects category. <laughs> yeah, visual effects. I'll, I'll take a stab at this real quick because I know Kobe's going to have something to say. Um, so if you go through our visual effects category this year. It's a doozy. Love and Monsters. Actually, pretty happy to see that one because I heard some pretty good things about that movie. It really went under the radar and I heard the VFX was actually pretty good. Um, but then you have The Midnight Sky. Who's, who here saw The Midnight Sky? Um, I watched it. It took me about four hours to watch because I fell asleep during it twice. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not poking fun at Ben. I legitimately felt that movie put me to sleep. I, uh, I've heard as much from other people too. I, what, what is that? The George Clooney one? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, the, it's the Netflix George Clooney, like the one that got bashed to pieces. Right. I don't know why it got nominated because here's the thing. Like the visual effects in that movie aren't even good. Like there's a shot early on where like Felicity Jones and a bunch of, and you know, David yellow and all the other actors are on like some other planet and it's this huge wide shot where like you can tell it's all a composite background to show this planet and it looked like the most obvious greens like it was like the stampede in Peter Jackson's King Kong bad of 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 <laughs> if you know what i'm talking about yeah. like it was noticeable and i was like wow they put, they put that movie up here so then you go on to Mulan another another doozy no idea wow. and and you know what's funny is how they listened to not only people but critics when it came to black panther and they did not nominate black panther for vfx and rightfully so because its vfx were not uh, on par with something like infinity war which that was a weird year first man won and i think first man totally deserved it but the academy shoot, puts themselves in this weird spot that whenever a space movie comes out they give that movie the vfx award or like most of the time, you know, you have Oh, Bradley. I swear, if they give if they give Midnight Sun the Oscar, I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt somebody. Yeah, beat an old lady with a stick. Um, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. But yeah, Mulan is just one of those examples of just such a, a, a shame because it was such a rushed finished product, and it literally is one of the biggest visual turds i have ever seen it just looks bad and nominating I, that was uh, was a, a real choice by the certified <laughs> um and Disney then came in and they put a gun to their head and they said you will nominate yeah. mulan for something they're like hey look we know we didn't release a marvel or star wars movie this year but hear us out <laughs> it, it, it's nominated for editing let's be honest people paid thirty dollars yeah. to see this movie. yeah it must be good right it I needed that the one and only Ivan, which is the the monkey movie with Sam Rockwell, and here's that's the, the that's the real head scratcher to me because I legitimately had to look up what that movie yeah. was. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. I myself am a big monkey fan. I love <laughs> I love monkey, <laughs> but nominating this movie and I haven't seen it, so I can't say anything about it. It's just so obscure where I feel like the more obvious choice for another Disney film to nominate would be soul. Um, because they've done that before with, with animated films with Kubo. They yeah. Did Kubo and the Shoe Strings was nominated. Yeah. And Except Kubo's still technically shot with a camera. True. But then again, Wally was nominated for VFX too. Really? 
Yes. It was, so yeah, it was. And mm-hmm. animated movies and VFX are actually really interesting. And, and it's just, it's a fast, it's a fascinating topic because there are visual effects elements that go into animated films and something like soul, I think would, would, would count for that. What I want. Yeah, I mean, the technical advances they've made are pretty amazing. Yeah. But then you have Tenet and I think of all this bunch, Tenet is the, the winner here. Uh, Tenet's the film that deserves it the most. I mean, it's just an incredible film to look at when it comes to VFX. But if Tenet did anything right, it was that. Mm-hmm. I think- and, and that's the problem is that Mank is not included in this category, yet it 100% deserves to be. And if it were in this category, I would say it deserved to win. I agree. I think I agree. That- I think when it's funny because when you look at all the Oscar nominees this year, kind of touching back on how we started this conversation about how, you know, a lot of people, you know, there were a lot of good movies that came out this year and a lot of people don't realize that they just didn't see them. And when you look at every category this year, it proves that point of that. There were great movies, but it's funny because visual effects, when you look at that category, it makes this year look like how the general public looked at it. It's like, oh, visual effects. There's the, there's the Tenet movie that was like the one theater movie and then a bunch of other straight-to-streaming service films that yeah. looked terrible. And I'm like, well, you know, why didn't we nominate Mank? Why didn't we nominate The Invisible Woman? You know, like there were, there were two... There could have been a really big competition between those two films for me because they're all doing different things. And well, I didn't give a second. I didn't know they released a Fantastic Four movie this year. Oh, The Invisible Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, by the end of the movie, spoiler alert, it basically became The Invisible Woman. That's true. That's true. That was that was my bad. <laughs> hey, but I mean, hey, the visual mom. effects in that were pretty amazing. Where's yeah. that? Yeah, they totally were. Massive snub. I agree. Yeah, I I think Invisible Man and Mank and Tenet all are kind of beautifully three different examples of what visual effects can do today and three different ways to elevate story. Exactly. They're all doing something completely different. You know, Mank is, is using visual effects as David Fincher is a pro at doing and his team of immersing you in a different time period and crafting a world that feels real. And you have something like invisible woman, which is the invisible, invisible man again, the invisible man where you really got the, Emily Blunt on the mind. I know. I, <laughs> it's you know. Too. But um, they use very minimal VFX combined with practical effects and sometimes no VFX to really mm-hmm. heighten tension. And then you've got the, you know, big popcorn movie tenant that, you know, as a stand in for Marvel movies, because there wasn't one this year, but you know, and, and, and all three of those uses of VFX, I think are fantastic. And I think if you would put a category like that in a year, like this year, it really could have brought people's attention to that. But instead the Oscars are like, well, no, we'll just nominate tenant and we'll give it to tenant. And then we'll just pick four rent. It almost was like, let's draw, a bunch of movies out of a, a magician's hat that aren't any of the best picture nominees so that we can just give it to tenant. Absolutely. Yeah. And that those were the four they pulled out. That's what it felt like. And what's funny is that they can acknowledge that wonder woman wasn't, uh, you know, worthy of any of that yet at the same time, like Mulan. Mulan. It was Mulan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like, got to move this along. It look better than Mulan, but, and that's yeah but yeah 
keep this within our, our show runtime. Uh, let's talk about, all, I'm going to list off the names of um, the Best Director nominees, and then we can have a discussion. Best Director nominees this year are Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Thomas Vinterberg, Another Round. So starting with Ben, what's going on with Director this year? It's it's hard because I have seen three of the five and I loved all three of these movies, but after seeing another round last night, it might be recency bias, but I want Thomas Vinterberg to win because they're, he does a good job. Like his actors, uh, Mads Mikkelsen does a lot of subtle acting in it and to a non- big film fan or acting fan in film would probably look over it, but he's my pick hands down. And he's definitely the surprise. The surprise yeah. nomination was not yeah. seeing that coming whatsoever. I think that surprise nomination was actually what drove me to want to watch it before this podcast, because I've been, I, I like, I much like Carlos have been wanting to watch it. And when I saw that surprise, I was like, okay, something's going on here that I'm not seeing. I need to watch this movie. And yeah, Ben's right. Like for me, I don't even know if I could pick my favorite here. Honestly, I would be happy if Vinterberg, Isaac Chung, Fennell or Fincher won. If any of those four won, I will be happy, but I'm preparing myself to be disappointed because they're going to give it to Zhao in my opinion. That's true. And I don't think she deserves to be there. Just plain and simple. I, Carlos. I agree. I think, I am all for everyone. I'm biased to Emerald Fennell because I think it is, I mean, Promised Young Woman was a great film and great achievement, but another round just was so captivating and just the style of, of how he decided to make that film was just so different and just so cool. And I didn't find myself at any point checking my watch or wanting to see like, Oh, this is kind of lulling here and there. No, it just, it, it moved. It had a flow and it was just such a, a, a well-made film and every aspect was thought out to a T. And that's where that, that's what brings me to, and I feel like every director in this category is the same way. Everything about those movies, Minari, Bank, Promising Young Woman is so done well whereas Nomadland yeah it's a good film and it looks great and she was able to direct non-actors and tell a story but there are so many elements of that film that are lacking you know it is such an empty hollow shell of a movie that it, there, there's not much to it you know there, there's a lot of things that as a viewer you don't get from it Whereas as a director, you have to you have to make sure that you're giving your audience everything they want, but you have to make sure you're giving it to them the way you want to. You there can't. Feels just, like, it feels like there's no personality in the direction. No, it, it, Nomadland, and yeah, the style the style of choice was to be a fly on the wall and to and to be a documentary type feel, which they nailed. And I think it was cool to wrangle non actors and make it feel real. But at the same time, is that enough to? make you the best director of the year or is the best director, you know, someone like Bong Joon-ho last year who was able to tell such a 
fascinating, inventive, creative, new, and entertaining story. Because at the heart, movies are supposed to entertain. And that's why I think every single director here deserves to be here, except for Chloe Zhao. And she took up Shaka King's spot. Agreed. Agreed. And see, I'm going to be the dissenter, not necessarily disagreeing with the fact that Shaka King got totally snubbed. He absolutely got snubbed. And I am really kind of shocked and hugely bummed that he didn't get uh, in on this year because, like I said, Judas Black Messiah, phenomenal. Um, I didn't dislike Nomadland to the extent that other people on this podcast did. <laughs> um, uh, particularly Carlos, we had a good conversation with this over the spring break. Um, you know, and I, I totally get your points about it and I can, I can totally see where you're coming from with that personally with Nomadland. And it could be because I went into it with your review in mind um, that it may be the reason why I enjoyed it as much as I did um, more from the perspective of, I, I also did a little bit of research on it um, before watching it because I wasn't really familiar with her. And then I f- realized she did the one that was at Slow Film Fest when we were there that year. And it was a big deal with the the writers, the, uh, the, the I think it was called The Writer or something like that. Yeah, with the, the horse movie. Uh-huh. And, uh, and with that film, how it was all cast using, you know, the actual people from the area who they actually do that. Like it didn't have any named actors in that's the only film they've ever been in. And it was such a uh, hit at film fests and such and kind of going into that. I, I will defend Chloe Zhao. And I'll say that at least the one thing I can say she does herself, she does her thing. She absolutely is her, you know, her style is her style as far as working with actors she might not be on the same level as the others as far as the, you know, film craft or storytelling or any of those. But in all reality, she's also at only like the beginning of her career, whereas a lot of the, you know, David Fincher, he's, you know, well established and he's been doing this for a long time. So it almost becomes a, a, a level of, OK, I expect this from Fincher. Like he turned in an amazing job. He did amazing work. But at the same time it's Fincher. Of course, he's going to do, you know, that. Whereas with Chloe Zhao, I didn't, I've never seen one of her films before. And she only has one or maybe two features before this one. And they were relatively small uh, indie films that went around festival circuit. So to see someone who works with people who works with actors, as far as that front goes, I think she did a phenomenal job as far as being an actor's director, but not in the way that like an actor's director is. It's like a with real people. And, and that's, that's a feat. And that's so, a feat all of its own. I was gonna say, I, I I'll I'll back you up on her working with non-actors. It's it is phenomenal what she's able to get out of these people and how real it does feel. You know, that 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 documentary style that she has is effective. But I will I'll counter you with the whole new director you know, not being a David Fincher who's established, I'll counter that with both Emerald Fennel and Lee Isaac Chung, who are both nominated for their debut features. Shaka King. <laughs> and I, exactly. And I think that they still did a better job yeah. than Zhao. You know, like yeah. Emerald yeah. Fennel Absolutely. did amazing job directing Promising Young Woman. And the only thing she's directed yeah. before this is like episodes of Killing Eve. You know, like she, right. this was her first time to really tell people her style. And I think she very effectively communicated that as well as communicated the script and got the actors to work well together. 
I love what the Isaac Chung did with Minari. I think that was a big surprise for me. And then, yeah, I still have to see Minari. Minari. Oh, it's so good. I'm still excited to see that. And with Promising Young Woman, I I definitely need to revisit it. I need to rewatch it. I did not like it. I I really enjoyed it, but it's definitely one that it's, you know, probably more of a you sink your teeth into it on the second viewing kind of an experience for sure. Um, I'm still processing, you know, what I saw. But I agree with you is that her style and just the it wasn't what I was expecting. And I blame a lot of the marketing on that. It, it, <laughs> the marketing led me to believe one thing and the film was something completely different. And that's and okay. That's fair. I, that, that's fair. It, it ended up being better because of that. Um, because same thing, she stayed true to herself, stuck to her guns. And that is the one thing that I respect more than anything else is when someone is so uniquely themselves that they stick to that. And that's, that's admirable. And that's, you know, no matter where they're coming from, if they're doing that, they're doing more than most people ever will in that respect. So honestly, I applaud all the nominees. I am really sad to see Shaka King get snubbed, but Let's see what else he's got up next. Yeah. And hopefully he uh, he keeps turning out amazing films like Judas. And uh, on that note, we'll just finish off here with Best Picture. And uh, I'll list off the nominees for the listeners who are maybe not familiar. The Best Picture nominees this year for the 2020 year are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in all fairness, it's a strong lineup. And if you guys had to say there's a film missing, what film would it be? Another round. Yeah, Mm -hmm. another round. Would it have qualified? Would it have qualified for Best Picture? Isn't it Uh, technically foreign? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it would. Have That's true. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's up for director and, you know, it was, I, I, I think it absolutely would. Yeah. It fit all the guidelines. Like there wasn't any reason why it shouldn't have. Um, it is nominated for international feature though. Another round. Yeah. Yeah. I think a movie, which it probably I, will win. Oh, it's going to missing. I don't think there's too much missing. Like you could argue something like soul, or pieces of a woman, but I just think overall those films are very niche. Like Soul is strong in its own category, but on its own, like upon reflection, I, I yeah, I, I really enjoyed I Soul. But upon looking back on it, I realized that it had it, there's probably some stuff they could have improved with that that is hindering it from being a best right. picture. There are too many flaws for it to be on par with yeah. the Pixar films that have been nominated for best picture. Yeah, mm. Pieces of a woman is. Um, I think too strong, too, too controversial. Um, but if there's, if there's any film that I think was deserving and did not get it, um, I'm going to go really out here. And I don't know if any of you are going to agree with me, but I'm going to say Palm Springs. That's a stretch, but it's a stretch, but it, not just best picture, but it was, it was kept out of a lot. That's I would, true. Watch, uh, I, would I would say I think it could have been Screenplay. I think it could have taken a spot in like something like original screenplay, but I don't know if yeah. I I don't know if I'd say best picture. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's a very it, it's a, it is a stretch, but it's just such an inventive movie 
mm-hmm. uh, original screenplay and also uh, actor. Like, yeah. like he, he did such a good job in that in that film. But the thing is, that, the screenplay category is already really strong. Yeah. You've yeah. got Judas, you've got Minari, you've got Promising Young Woman, you've got Sound of Metal and Chicago Seven. Which, yeah. if there was an element of Chicago Seven that was the strongest, it was the screenplay. It's the screenplay, yeah. Aaron Sorkin, that pretentious hack. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta love him, right? I gotta say though, there there is something to seeing a movie that you thought was not going to be nominated for anything, and then it getting that one nomination, and you know it's not going to win. Kind of like, you know, what Carlos was talking about with Palm Springs. I got that this year with the White Tiger for adapted screenplay. Oh yeah, that's a movie that Netflix buried. And it pisses me off because it's so good. And yeah. to see it up for adapted screenplay made me happy. Um, so, but yeah, there is something to that seeing films like that. You know, I, I, I'm hearing a lot of people on the internet with best picture this year say that about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami missing out on it. But to me, I'm like, I don't, I don't think they were snubbed for, be- for best picture. You know, they got nominated for a lot of other categories. But Which were the ones they deserved. Exactly. Neither one of those movies stuck with me. You know, they they were entertaining and I enjoyed watching them, but I don't think about those movies the way I think about like Judas and the Black Messiah or Promising Woman or even Trial of the Chicago Seven. You know, like people can, you know, people can talk shit about Trial all they want, but I think about that movie far more often than I do One Night or Ma Rainey. Yeah. And it's not because Sorkin wrote it. It's because those, you know, those two movies are trying to be vehicles for Oscars. They're not trying to be as potent as something, especially given the subjects that they have, they are not trying to be as potent as something like Judas was. And Judas is potent and entertaining. And Trial does the same. You know, Trial is entertaining and it's potent and it sticks with you. Another one I could think was left out was, and I don't know if I am okay with this or not, but The Five Bloods was one that I felt got a lot of attention and then Mm -hmm. just died out, particularly- I think that's the the biggest snub just in general this year. Yeah, it's it's too out there. It's too. Uh, how should I put it? I think the Academy just hates Spike Lee. I'm just going to well, say that it. too. That too. <laughs> but no, like like the five bloods, it's I, I'm going to need to revisit it because it's definitely a movie that goes all over the place kind of a thing. And I think that is definitely what what kind of killed its chance at having a best picture nomination. Not that he shouldn't have done that. I think I think it's better a better film for it, but it definitely isn't what they like to uh, attract yeah. to their party. <laughs> and all <laughs> the I'll kind just, of chaotic I'll, energy. <laughs> speaking of defy bloods, I'll drop my hot take here to just, you know, create utter chaos, but Delroy Lindo <laughs> should be nominated instead of Chadwick Boseman. You know, I'm just going to throw that out there, you know, just, just, yeah. you know, it, it's sad that Bozeman died, but he, he doesn't deserve to be in best picture. It, it, it wasn't his best, not, best actor. Sorry. Not best picture. Best actor. Well, and at, the, at this point, it just becomes a, a matter of, of a respect being paid. We all know who's going to win. And may that could, yeah. that could very well be why, because Lakeith Stanfield was, was uh, submitted by Warner brothers as best lead actor it could very well be why the voters put him in supporting because they know Chadwick's going to take. Well, and I, and I feel it, it's unfortunate because they're going to give it to him this year, which I understand it's, it's a sign of respect, but it's also like a, whoops, we're sorry. We didn't give it to you for get on up, even though you yeah, or, which that, better, that's yeah, an amazing film, by the yeah. way, or better yet. We're sorry. We never nominated you once ever in your life. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not like you've given, you know, 
multiple performances that were deserving of nominations. Yeah. Like, like I even, this is a bit of a stretch, but even to the point where people were saying, Oh, we're expecting Chadwick to get nominated for black Panther. And while, yeah, that's a, that's a stretch. It's a superhero movie. I will say as far as Chadwick Boseman as an actor, he, 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 he pulled off a great performance with an iconic character. Yeah. Similar to Heath Ledger as the Joker. And, you know, he, he really is a strong part of those movies, yeah. but they're never going to do that. So now I feel like it's just a matter of principle that, well, we lost him. We're going to give him the Oscar now. And I just, I can't help but feel bad. It's just like, a yeah. shame, you know, because Anthony Hopkins and Riz Ahmed are just right there. Yeah. And Riz, if, if it weren't for, for Chadwick Boseman, it, Riz Ahmed would be my, would be my pick. He was phenomenal. It would, it would, it would have been really tight between Anthony Hopkins and Riz for me. It's, it's a back and forth battle. Ben, what's winning best picture? <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard. Um, Cause I've seen, I think five of these mm-hmm. movies. Um, I don't know. I feel like what, just given the trajectory of all of the awards, it's probably going to go to Nomadland, which I've not seen it. So I can't, not I don't have an opinion on it, but out of the ones I did see, it's uh, it's Judas and the Black Messiah. Even though I want Promising a Woman to get a lot of love, it's, yeah. I mean, Judas and Trial, like was mentioned before, they're both very timely, and everything about those movies are are really good. But it's per- I want it to go to Judas and the Black Messiah. Me too. I agree. Me too. We all love Promising Young Woman, but we know it'll probably not take home the gold for best picture. I think the only chance that Promising Young Woman have at winning anything is editing and actress. I really want to see Mulligan take actress. Yeah, that would be nice to see. And I think she actually, unlike anything else, has a shot there because she's not competing with Nomadland. Although she's up against Vanessa Kirby. That's true. She's not getting it. That's my. That's what I was gonna say. As good of a performance as that is, I don't think the I think honestly, the Academy putting up Vanessa Kirby and Andrew Day are both just we don't know who to put. So let's put these people yeah. because they gave good performances. To me, it's gonna come down. I don't think Frances McDormand, even though she's nominated, I don't think she's gonna win. I don't think she's not. No, it's multiple reasons. Between... One being she's won too many times recently. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, and I was uh, about to say that's my thing with Viola Davis. Is she won pretty recently too? And yeah. I think people are gonna be more, you know, kin to just let's give Bozeman that award. And I, I, to me, she seems like the obvious choice. You know, that's. That movie is her movie, and she yes, stole that, I was show, just about to say that, and she's deserving. It's it's time for her to win. So out of the out of those out of those roles, that's definitely the one where the, the movie belongs to her. Absolutely, yeah. and a lot of people talked about it and talked about her, particularly you know even the controversy with the variety the article and stuff yeah. like that. And, well, and every year the the Academy they like to pick like one category and like please people. And I'm not going to count Bozeman this year because that's not to please people. But yeah, they usually like to pick the one where it's like, oh, we'll we'll give you, we'll throw you guys a bone, you know, like yeah. what wh- whether it was you know the Social Network winning original score or 1917 winning cinematography, you know. But I think this year it's going to be. I think Carrie's gonna they're gonna throw people a bone and give her an award because that's the it movie as far as performances go. 
Well, we will uh, have to write down our predictions and uh, see how we all fare after the Oscars air. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. And uh, maybe we'll do a Super Image LTD Oscar watch party virtually. Who knows? We'll think of something like that. It'll be fun to do. Well, that's about all the time we have today on this episode. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. And thank you to Ben and Colby for being a part of this discussion. It's always great to have you guys. And uh, if you're listening, uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We try to upload episodes every week on Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard. And uh, follow us on our YouTube, uh, where you can watch the video version of the podcast. Um, For certain episodes, we try to include exclusive video content when it applies. And uh, yeah, we look forward to you tuning in next week. Thank you, guys. (laughs) 